never going to see that. But if you saw the paper today, it was there a couple times. Uh, and it's referring to uh, a, a man who's from our town who's going to play Jesus in a CNN miniseries about Jesus. So, um, some key initials in that are CNN. So, <laughs> uh, when you watch it, I think it's, there is absolutely no reason to avoid interacting in any way with our world with Jesus. And to ever be, there is no reason to be afraid of that or be concerned about it or anything because the truth always prevails. The truth always prevails. So I just encourage you, you know, if you want to watch it, if you're interested, you want to be connected to that, I'm sure there'll be some, probably be another article next week about what happened and, you know, who knows. So uh, just want to throw that out and make sure you know about it. And uh, maybe, maybe there'll be uh, something else about Jesus because of some of us someday in the culture. So it snowed. <coughs> My goodness, the snow farmers are happy uh, for sure. I actually, for the first time, um, maybe some of y'all know I've been, you know, trying to get this telemark thing down. So I went up on the North Face for the first time with a couple of folks from here, which was awkward, but I survived it. And it, one of the funny things was that I, I did actually launch about an eight-foot drop, <laughs> but uh, it wasn't. Whoa, wait! <laughs> it it wasn't. It wasn't on the skis. It was. On my side. So I, yeah, my ski stopped on a rock and then I fell on this, uh, you know, big pile of powder on this huge rock. And I thought, well, either I'm going to fall straight down into the other rocks or I'm going to just keep it going. So I kept it going and I flew way out and it was really a mess, but I was okay. So um, anyway, I won't be guiding you there anytime soon. So like uh, Jim said, we're in this series, Famous Last Words. We're looking at what Jesus said, really starting some of the key word, phrases that he uses as he is um, really from the, the Last Supper when they're in the upper room, up in through uh, his, his, his resurrection, and then we'll go a little bit beyond that to uh, the last things he says before his ascension right after Easter. So it's been fun. I've learned a lot uh, spending some time here. Last week, we were in the upper room. And Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, and he said, I want you to do what I have done for you. And that was the first statement that we looked at. And we, we're going to look at things like, uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and that, that kind of thing. But today, we're going to turn to uh, one that you've definitely heard. You'll hear it again today when we celebrate communion, and that is, do this in remembrance of me. Whether you've been in the church very long or, or almost never, you've probably heard that said. Do this in remembrance of me. But what I want to do before we get to the text, it's going to be in Luke 22, if you want to flip over there and be ready, uh, is there's something that I've noticed in this upper room scene that I'm trying to get in touch with personally, and I'm hoping that you can do the same thing. And that is the disciples are in this uh, time of their experience in ministry where they've just come into Jerusalem and things are looking really good, right? Remember the palm branches and all this stuff? They're thinking things are on the up and up. But Jesus, at the same time as they've, they've been moving towards this, has been telling them that things aren't looking so good, you know, that things are going to get really hard here pretty soon. So they're trying to balance this, and I, I think they tend to uh, 
they're tending to kind of block out what they think might be coming. And that's especially obvious when you read the accounts in the upper room of the things that they say and the things that they do. Well, you know, even to the point in this situation, and, you, and you'll see it as it unfolds, that Jesus says, I- I'm going to suffer. And it's like it goes right over their head. You know, this is our last meal together. And, and they're, then they're having an argument about which one of them is the coolest. You know, that's what they're, they're mixed up. And <clears throat> I think what's happening here that, that, that I, want, I guess I want to settle into the seat of one of the disciples and try to feel what they were feeling. Because Jesus is instituting change that's absolutely radical. And he's been telling about them about it. And they have been resisting hearing that. And he gets really pointed about it. And the, the point today, the main thing I, I think I'm trying to get across to you is this memorial, this thing that Jesus says, I want you to remember and continue to do when you eat this bread and drink this drink, is I want you to remember me, but what you remember about me is change. Because I, th- I would be willing to bet that a lot of us in this room are in situations that are not unlike the disciples, where we're sitting somewhere near Jesus or somewhere in reach of his voice, and things have been happening, or words have been spoken, or things we are recognized, but we are resisting um, listening to that because we're, we're afraid to move where Jesus wants us to move. You know, it's, uh, it reminded me, thinking about this reminded me of Moses. You know, he, it says when he is in the wilderness and he comes across this burning bush, it says he, obviously that was a strange thing, but he had the option to ignore it because it says he actually stops and turns aside and goes over to the burning bush, and God interacts with him there. And so what I want to ask you to ask yourself, and I'm doing the same thing, is, uh, is Jesus speaking into my life in a way that is drawing me to change, and I'm resisting that. And another thing about that is, is I've thought about Jesus as the ultimate in change. Anytime we talk and think about what Jesus is doing in our life or in the world, or any, it, if you, I've tried to think this through, but it's almost always having to do with change that's bringing good things. So you can ponder that a little bit. But is he speaking to you? Are, are you in that seat with one of those disciples where you're, you're resisting that? Is it, is it like you're like Moses and you see the bush and you're like, I think I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to turn aside. And I think that's what he's trying to get these guys to engage with. So look over at Luke 22. We're going to see this, uh, this memorial to change that we call communion, which we're going to celebrate in just a few minutes. So now that you have this sort of setting with the disciples and their mood and the way they're, I feel like, resisting this, read with me. We'll start in verse 14. And and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 16. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. 
For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after he had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This, um, this thing, this memorial that Jesus is asking us to partake in, that we're going to partake in in just a few minutes ago, in a few minutes, is not something that is just commemorating a guy on a cross uh, or somebody that lived a long time ago. We are commemorating what he did that absolutely changed everything about our relationship with God. In this passage, there are several words that are just huge theological words, words that have incredible impact on us, on our understanding of God, on the way that he, he works with us and what Jesus did. And we're going to walk through and look at those. But I want to ask you again, just as we're, uh, we're going to get into these points here, to zoom out and look at your life, almost like you're in a seat with the disciples, and get up above that and say, okay, where am I? What is Jesus saying? Is he calling for change, whether to know him, to follow him in a different way? What, what is happening in my life where I know that he is speaking in and calling for change? And then we'll have a time to meditate on that and think about it in a few minutes. So three things about this, this change that Jesus is bringing about. Uh, awareness of change, being aware of it, being ready for the reason for it. And Jesus is going to tell us what the reason is for it and the means. So awareness of change, read, uh, the reason for change, and the means of that change. So let's talk about this awareness. And this is that thing I'd like for us to kind of engage in and, and kind of uh, come alongside these disciples. And when you look at what Jesus says at the beginning, if you, if you really look at it, it's, it's, not, uh, it's kind of an uncommon thing to say. In verse 14, and when the hour came, so it's time for them to have this meal, and it's also getting close to the hour of, of his betrayal, he reclined at the table. The apostles with him, and he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. That sounds pretty normal. Before I suffer. <laughs> you know, they, they have to be saying, okay, what is going on here before I suffer? And one of the things I love about this word reclines, and I, I'll come back to it again and again, I think, because it doesn't mean anything other than he sat down with them. That was the typical way they sat down because they didn't use chairs, right? They, they sat on the floor and they had this low table if they had a table. But the guys who wrote the Gospels continue to go back to that word, and I think it encompasses more. It encompasses this attitude that Jesus brings in his fellowship with his brothers and his sisters, that he reclines with them. That he, and in fact, in some, of the, in some cases, you know, he's leaning against them. You know, there's this fellowship there. So you have this, this strange context here, right? The, the betrayal is about to happen, but Jesus is reclining at the table. And he says, I've earnestly desired to eat this with you, this Passover meal. And how many of y'all have done a Passover meal before? Have you gone through that process? It's really cool. It's an amazing thing that was established, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus is in this situation. But whenever you see this, this is another big word, the Passover. Um, there is a lot of meaning laid into that. 
And Jesus is about to uh, absolutely turn that whole thing upside down. This Passover that has been handed down from generation to generation to generation, and God has called on them to have this meal together. And Jesus is going to change the look of that meal entirely. Um, and it's, it's interesting, if you think about it, there are other people in that town that are celebrating Passover around this time, this meal. But this is the last Passover meal, really. And it's with Jesus. And it's with these people, right? So it's a very poignant moment. So he says, I want to eat this meal. I'm really, really, this is important for me to be with you. And then he says this thing, I'm going to suffer. Now, if someone tells me they're going to suffer, that has an impact on me, or that they did suffer. There's something about that word and the word that it's translated from that just, it grips your heart. You know, if Lisa said, I'm really suffering, it's, it's a lot different than, hey, I feel bad today, you know. He says, I'm going to suffer. And so there's this huge contrast to this meal, and, and, and it's a celebration, and looking forward, and, and looking back, and, and then he says, I'm going to suffer. And I, I wonder if um, they were awakening, uh, having a new awareness of Jesus saying something is going to change in your life. Everything really is going to change, but he's making it very personal for these guys. Is that happening with you? Is that happening with me? Um, so I, I think there's this place of awareness that th- these disciples were in, I- that they were resisting. And of course, in a couple of days, it's ac- absolutely going to have hit them. The suffering, they're going to understand that. But then Jesus goes on and says, this is the reason that this suffering is going to happen. And I think this is... Uh, a pretty profound uh, place in the scripture. In verse 16, he says, for I tell you, I'm not going to eat again of this until it is fulfilled in the kingdom. In other words, the Passover. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take it and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of this vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so he's, he's bringing up this idea of the kingdom of God. And we could spend weeks on the kingdom of God. What's happening here is Jesus is saying the reason I'm going to do this is because of the fact that I'm bringing the kingdom of God. Okay, so perhaps you haven't been to, uh, had a lot of theology class or a lot of introduction to what the kingdom of God is. But from the earliest days of the Hebrews, they're looking forward to a time when God will make things right. When all things will be put right. And they're always looking forward to that moment, but that moment cannot come because of sin back here in history. And man has broken his relationship with God. And so there is this, this talk of the kingdom of God. Several times it, it is a final, permanent establishment of the kingdom of God. And it doesn't mean that God is not the king before that. The big difference between here and the kingdom of God is the relationship of God with man. That's the big difference about bringing the kingdom of God, which is, which is really cool, that the kingdom of God is most established and most fulfilled when God is in relationship with man. But there is this unfolding of this idea of the kingdom through time. 
And so uh, as believers, we can actually bring the kingdom. It doesn't mean, uh, uh, you know, with scepters and thrones and stuff in this world, right? That, that doesn't make any sense. What, what it means is that we're bringing the good things of God to this world. So there's an aspect of the kingdom of God that happens with believers as we bring the kingdom into our communities. But all of it is made possible because Jesus is willing to suffer for it. So Jesus has his eyes on this thing that is in the future and, and even is going to happen in just a few days. There's, there's this kind of an unfolding of it, the kingdom of God. And he says, I'm not going to eat. None of the, uh, everything is going to be different in just a few days. Because I'm going to usher in the reality of the kingdom of God. Although it isn't going to happen like it will eventually happen, the possibility to be in relationship with God is going to happen in just a couple of days because I'm willing to suffer for it. And he's telling them this. And so do you see, Jesus is, it's not, this, this meal that he's talking about is not a, a dead thing. It's, it's a thing that is about change. He's turning the whole Passover thing upside down. He's saying, I'm bringing you into a new thing, a new way of understanding the kingdom of God. And he's going to tell them, uh, he tells them not only the reason that it's going to happen, but he's going to tell them how it's going to happen through himself. Look at verse 19. He took the bread, and when he gave thanks, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup, after they'd eaten, he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So here's another big theological word, covenant. And he's saying, I'm bringing a new covenant. This is a change. For him to, because these disciples were so rooted in Jewish culture, for him to say, I'm bringing a new covenant was like saying, I'm going to start a new government completely. It was shocking to them. To us, we look back and say, oh yeah, new covenant. I've heard of that, you know covenant on your, uh, you know, the, the word in your hearts instead of written on tablets. We, okay. But to them, it was a dramatic and radical thing for him to say. He's, um, when Jesus makes this, this statement, they, they're thinking back to, there was a covenant with Adam between man, with man and God. There was a covenant with Noah, between Noah and God. There was a covenant with Moses and so forth, okay, covenant with David. And so they live under this, um, this almost like a marriage covenant. I will do something, and I will do something. They come together. The only problem is humans are the ones who can break it. And Jesus says, this new covenant is going to be in my blood. So that, have you ever been in a communion service and in the, the thing is, you know, this is the cup, this is the blood of Christ. How many have Catholic background here? Lots of you, okay. So, lots of things over the course of history have been piled on communion. Lots of reasons to believe this and reasons to believe that. But what, what we're doing is we're stripping away all of the piled up stuff, all the things you got from your parents, all the things you read, whatever. We're going to see what does the Bible say 
about what it is. Right? We're going to just we're going to strip that away. And Jesus says it's a new covenant in his blood. In other words, a covenant was necessary for relationship with God. There was this Passover that that described this covenant God had made. If you put the blood of this lamb over your doorpost, this is in Egypt, then your family will be free from oppression. You will be able to leave the oppression that there will be a change. You will go from oppression to freedom. You see, this, God is about change. From a, from, he is relieving burdens. He's moving us from being un, under burdens to being free in Him. These are changes. Left to our own devices, we get pretty myopic. We focus on ourselves. We sort of sort of start to, to degenerate, and things don't go so well. We don't see the reason for how things are working out. Instead, what he is, what he is offering is he's saying, it's my blood. In fact, I'm going to be the new lamb. It's not going to be a lamb every time there has to be when we celebrate this. Now, I am the lamb. I'm the permanent lamb. Sometimes uh, it seems harsh to think of this idea of blood being necessary. Like, in, there, there was literal blood, but also the idea of blood refers to life. When we, have, when we take communion, we're not, it's not blood, it's life. It's a representation of the life of Christ. Jesus didn't bleed to death on the cross. Right? He suffocated on the cross. The, the cup and the bread are symbols of that, reminders of that. But we have a hard time with this idea of blood and life being necessary to atone for sin. And there's, in my life, and I'll just make it personal, there's one big reason that I struggle with that. And that's because I don't think that my sin is big enough to need a life to cover it. And that stems from a problem that I don't know how big and how holy and righteous God is. That's my problem. That's not his problem. And so he instituted this process of saying, Here, the, this, um, a life must be given, and it's, it'll be a lamb. It's not a human. It's a lamb. It's an animal to free you from oppression. And this is the model and the cleansing from sin, as you see in the, in the temple sacrifice process. And Jesus, on this night, is changing all of that. I am the permanent lamb forever. It is done. So in the context of Passover, and with the idea of the kingdom, with this idea of the lamb, this is what's happening. I think when he, when he says that, I am the new covenant, I'm the, and he's essentially saying, I am now the lamb. I wonder if they went back to Isaiah 53 in their minds, because they all knew this. Um, we'll put it up here. This is just a little section I just picked out of many. Verse 7 is where I'm starting. Uh, Isaiah is speaking of the Lamb or the Messiah that would come. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before his shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made him a grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, 
two more verses. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has been put to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, those who follow him. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. See, the, uh, the disciples knew all this stuff. It was right in front of them. It was in their heads and in their hearts. And Jesus is bringing them into this moment of awareness. And then I'll close with this. And, and this is where we get to the statement that Jesus says. Do this in remembrance of me. Drink this and eat this in remembrance of me. I came to make a covenant change. I came to change everything. Um, I wonder if as you meditate in just a few moments, as we take the cup and as, you, as you're waiting, um, if you could be talking to him and listening and saying, God, I can see that you are about change. I can see that you are about, this is what you are about. You are about freedom from oppression. You are about bringing me out from this and being with me in the process and loving me. You're willing to suffer for this, even if it was only me. And what is he saying to you in that? What, what is the change that he's looking? He was looking for a change with the disciples, for them to understand what was coming and was going to transform their lives. Where are you? So uh, I want to take us to prayer and ask Jim to come up. I think he's got a couple of guys to help him. Will you pray with me? Lord, there are so many uh, powerful words in this. Lord, the, it's more than a tipping point of history. Uh, this moment that the disciples were walking, were stepping into with Jesus was the, the moment in history, the turning point. God, we went from needing uh, a regular um, sacrifice, Father, to atone for us, to make us right with you, Lord, to um, your son taking our place. And he was willing to suffer for each one of us. And so, God, I pray for myself and each person in here that as we see that and as we meditate and, and as we look back and say to you, thank you for being willing to do that as we, we memorialize the change that was made on that day. Lord, may we be open to change that you have for us. Lord, may we not be stagnant. Uh, may we not just stay where we are, but move forward with you. Um, God, uh, take us to that, to that new place with you, even today. In Jesus' name, amen. have our uh, youth come and uh, bring the memorial of change and uh, Scott thanks for for the word today I think of all memorials <coughs> certainly about change 
something dynamically has happened and <coughs> that the memorial wants us to remember about change. And um, today is and where is our <laughs> it's changing. The memorials are set up <coughs> to help, uh, help us remember those change, changes that have taken place in our lives. I'm thinking, as Scott was, was ministering the word, I was thinking, back, as he says, back with them, and thinking, why would they need something, a memorial, to remember Jesus with? And to remember what Jesus was about, what Jesus was going to do. They had been spending the last three or four years with him in such a profound way of seeing miracles and dynamic things change before their very eyes. And you think, why do you need a memorial? Who, who wouldn't remember that? But God knows the frailness of humanity and how forgetful we are. How quickly did the... Hebrew people, when they were delivered after Passover and delivered out of Egypt, went into the desert. And what did they do? They forgot. And God had to establish three memorials for them to remember, to remember, to remember. And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's not so odd that Jesus set up a memorial for change um, and that they needed to do that regularly, to remember the change that was taking place. Some of you are here today, and you have forgotten the change that has taken place in your life through Jesus Christ living and dying for you and raising again from the dead. And you live your life as if nothing is different. I do that sometimes. I, for, I just, it goes away. We're so darn human, aren't we? I can say hello to you, what's your name in the foyer, and by the time you sit down, I've forgotten your name. What makes us think we will, will not forget some of the most dynamic changes even in our lives? Time is a culprit. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing, but it's also a culprit in that time seems to create a gap between the change and its continuance. Let's remember now as we take the bread and the cup. Um, keep it. Return to your seat and let that bread and that cup take you back to the dynamic change that has happened in your life. A change that is still at work in your life, changing you. This memorial. Remember, if you're here today, you don't know Jesus the Christ and you haven't experienced that dynamic change by which this memorial represents we invite you into the kingdom of God. We invite you to trust and put faith into the words of Christ of how much he loves you, of what, is, what he came to do in serving you and dying on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And we invite you to his table for you to remember, even from the moment you get up out of your chair till you hit this table, to remember what he's doing for you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Christ uh, to honor the words of Christ, to remember this memorial of change, as Scott so well put it today. You have changed our relationship with you. 
You have changed the nature of our sin that is found out before you. You forgave it, transformed it, and you imputed righteousness instead of it. You have began to transform our character and to move us into a better place in life. And we're here today to take remembrance of those changes and so much more. And Lord, we're going to continue to do it until that day you come back to receive your bride. We honor you now in the remembrance. And we're going to take this bread. You broke it. You gave thanks over it. And it was eaten in remembrance. Likewise, you took the cup and giving thanks. You were poured out of a new covenant for us. We praise you and thank you. And we do this now in, in honor and glory to your holy name. Amen and amen. As the Lord leads you, you come and receive the bread and the cup. Return to your seat. We'll take it together as the body of Christ.
I am waiting. 